The advice and opinions expressed by the host of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. The Center for Autism and Related Disorders advises working with a board-certified behavior analyst who has experience with autism before starting any intensive behavioral intervention. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Good morning. Good morning. Okay. 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 Oh, there we go. Uh, good morning and welcome to Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy. I'm Shannon and Nancy is here. We're having a little bit of a technical difficulty right there, uh, but we're going to get that taken care of. And uh, good morning, Nancy. Can we hear you now? Hi. Oh, we still have the echo. Uh, is are, is there more than, have you got us on two devices still? I know you have. Um, I just shut down. Something is still on in your, um, I, it might, um, Traven, advise her. I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and talk about where people can, uh, how they can interact while um, Traven helps Nancy to figure out her sound issue. Because we were having a technical difficulty a couple of minutes ago. We thought we had it solved. Uh, in any case, we're live right now, as you can tell, because this is what it's like when it's live. And it is Friday. It is the 25th of June. And we'd love to interact with you during this hour. Oh my gosh, have we got some stuff we're going to talk about during this hour. The top of my head has been flying around the room. I couldn't wait to be on the show today to talk with Nancy and with you guys about some of this stuff. So how can you interact if you're watching live? Uh, there's many different ways. Right now we're live on YouTube, on Twitter, and on Facebook. And you can interact on any of those platforms right now. You can say hello and we'll be able to see uh, that you're there and watching. Uh, we also are live on our homepage, autism-live.com. That has a chat. Um Oh, it's saying that it might be my audio input. Let's look. I haven't changed anything. Uh, it says that uh, my audio, you want to know, uh, my audio input is default. It's my oh, webcam. Um, so mine is the same. Uh, and hello, I see that we have some people that are here that I'm really excited that they're here. Uh, so under the gear, under audio input, Traven, it says default. Um, so would you like it to be something else? Um, I can click something else if I'm the problem. Uh, and Nancy, he's asking for you to write in and tell him what yours is. Uh, sorry, you guys, we, you know, when you're live, you're live and there's always technical things, but in any case, we want to hear from you. We want to know your thoughts, your feelings, your questions, your concerns. 
we we want to want to hear your thoughts on these stories because we've got some stories that I'm going to tell you right now are going to get you riled, uh, and we all need to be a little riled today. But it's not enough to be riled. We want to rile, be riled, and do something. So, um, do we want to try uh, Nancy's sound again, or um, should I just continue on? You guys, advise when you can, Traven. Uh, we also have a guest for you a little bit later on in the show today. Leah Hirschfeld is going to be joining us, talking about research topics, and we always love that. Uh, Nancy, have we got you now? Are you able to to be with us? I'm not sure. No, we're still out there. I don't know what that's about. Uh, but in any case, uh, I, I, I'm going to jump in here for a second and while, we, while we're figuring this out. And Nancy, I don't know if you heard me right before we came on. I said I wanted to, um, I don't have you up on two browsers. So um, I, don't, I don't know what that's about, you guys. Uh, I, I, but I know that right before we came on, Nancy was on two devices, Traven. So I think that I think it has something to do with that. Uh, but I'm going to soldier on you guys and uh, while well, you guys figure it out. Um, oh, was that question for Nancy? Nancy, are you on two browsers? Can you look and see if you're there twice? You're not. And you're, the, whatever device you were on before is completely off and shut down and uh, not powered. I don't know if you're on your phone and your computer. Um, look and look and I don't know what's happening. You know what, Nancy, maybe try going out and coming back in, like totally restart and let's do that uh, because we've got a really important story that I want us to get to. So you, if you watch the show, you know that a couple of weeks ago, uh, a guest who has been on our show before, Tori Ridgway, his mom wrote in and said that they were having an issue and uh, that he had gotten a full scholarship, a full ride scholarship to an amazing university, Embry-Riddle. And the scholarship was from the ROTC, the Navy ROTC. You know, we were aware of the fact that he had gotten the scholarship, that um, it was covered by local news outlets. It was um, something that I think our entire community could rejoice in that this young man worked so hard and served, you know, was an Eagle Scout and served in his local ROTC. And that not only that he had gotten into college that, and he, you know, had gotten this amazing scholarship and we were, were so thrilled and delighted for him. But then all of a sudden it's two months later and just the gut punch. I can't even imagine. He was notified that the scholarship had been rescinded and that the reason for this is due to his diagnosis of autism. And it's very complex um, what they're saying and how they're saying it, but it very clearly states um, that if you have a, a diagnosis of something um, that is a pervasive developmental disorder, that, you know, you're not eligible for the scholarship. And yet he disclosed this throughout the entire process. He wrote about this in the essay for the scholarship. This is not something that he was hiding. And this young man earned, let me say that again, he earned this opportunity. He is an amazing light on this planet and he is a member of our community and he's hurting right now. And, you know, um, we've seen this happen before with the military and there's this whole process with a waiver. It takes time. Not everybody is successful. And the problem is, is that school, he's got to be at orientation today 
today, folks. And you know how the wheels of justice move when we're talking about a human being and there's somebody checking boxes on a form, right? And I don't know, I believe with all of my heart that the Navy is going to see that this is a mistake and that they're going to correct it, but I don't know when that will be. And I don't know about you, I am not willing to let this young man lose this opportunity at this amazing university. And by the way, there were two full months where he believed that he had a full ride scholarship. I've got a kiddo going to college in the fall too. And let me just tell you, we have been hitting the pavement on the scholarships things for the last two months. This is the season when you apply for scholarships and, and, Tori would have been eligible for so many things that he, like a gentleman, didn't apply for because he already had his and didn't want to take opportunity from somebody else. And now the devastation of what he needs to pay to be able to go to this college that he's been accepted to because of this mess is overwhelming to the family. So a friend of the family has started a fundraiser. Um, and I'm asking you, I donated this morning already, and I'm asking you, check the couch cushions. This is not about how much. Um, this is about how many. How many people can we get to send a scholarship to this young man? If what you've got is $5, give $5, but then share it with your friends and families. Because if all of us you know, we're, to, we're able to give what we could, this would be a non-issue for this young man. And then he could go about changing the mind of the Navy in a way without having this thing on his back saying, you may not be able to go to school. So I'm begging you, um, let's, let's stand up for this young man who is a, a gentleman and should be an officer. Yes. And let's support this family. I know that um, at least his mom is watching right now and we want to send her a big hug. What an amazing woman she is. And she's raised an amazing son. This young man is something special. We've had him on the show before and we want to support him. Traven has just put the link to the, the GoFundMe um, into the feed on. So if you're watching us on any of the places that we're live right now, you should be able to see it in your questions. And I'm asking to please give what you can. Um, I mean, obviously, you know, uh, there's, there's a, a large sum of money to be raised, but if we all give what we can and share it, uh, this should be an, uh, a no-brainer. And I would love for this family to be able to take a breath um, because this is devastating. This is discriminatory. Um, you know, I, I know that the family is working very hard and respectfully with the Navy to overcome whatever the thing is that with the Navy that is not right. Um, I know that when we talk about people in generalities, we always get into this problem and the Navy and the our armed military needs to be looking at this and to understand, and they already do understand talent because they gave him the scholarship, right? So um, he earned this. We need to make sure that we protect him so that he not only can be an example for our community, but that he is not cheated because they've got boxes to tick. Yeah. So please, um, if you're watching us live, look in the comments. Uh, if you're watching us later and it's recorded, we'll, we'll have this posted on our uh, Facebook site. It is on my personal Facebook right now. Cause as I said, I just personally donated and I'm asking everyone give what you can. Um, we need to stand up for this young man and he needs to see that we have him 
as a community and the family needs to see that too. I can't even imagine. Now I, I see that we've got Nancy back. Let's try it. Nancy, are you with us? Yes. Oh my gosh. It's so much better. Okay. So Nancy, we've asked people to, we, we did the ROT story cause I wanted that to be at the top. Um, and we've asked people to please donate what they can so that this young man, he's at, he's at an orientation today at his university. And I don't want him to, like, you know, this might take two years for the Navy to go, oh, oopsie. Um, yeah, we, we did give you this scholarship because you're awesome and we want you to have this opportunity. Um, and, you know, we don't want for him to miss out in the meantime because he's already missed out on two months worth of scholarships. So everybody please donate. Uh, Parker says, Israel's military has tons of autistic individuals there. Give this person an opportunity. Yes. And we want the Navy to hear that. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's really encouraging to hear that, Parker. Yeah, and and we want the Navy to hear that. But again, uh, you, you guys all know how this works. Like, I, I believe with all of my heart, we will get the Navy to see that. I just don't know when. I don't know if that'll be next spring or four years from now. And you know that when opportunities come, there there's also the ability to lose the opportunity. And Tori has already lost two months of opportunity. Let's, let's all use our voices. We want to send a message to the Navy. Use your voice. Give $5, $10, whatever you can, and share it so that other people will give $5, $10, because there's somebody out there that's got $1,000 that's laying around. Let's let's get this young man um, so that he doesn't have to worry about this um, right now while he is in discussions with the Navy. Okay, so let's move on to something else that's going to raise your blood pressure, right, Nancy? Right. Um, ooh, this story, you guys, I can't even... Um, this, this was posted in U.S. News and World Report, uh, I believe just yesterday, that uh, a very esteemed leading medical group is offering testing, gui- offering testing guidelines for children with autistic behaviors. Uh, Nancy, uh, yes. this is the American Academy of Pediatrics Council on Environmental no, Health. Yeah. Right, which I had never heard of that group. I didn't know they had an American... Academy of Pediatric Council on Environmental Health specifically, but they have gone on to outline five treatments that they say, um, five tests that should not be done for kids on the autism spectrum. And they're offering this up as a guideline to doctors and to insurance companies to say, "Mm, we think that having people tested for this is leading to some dangerous thought patterns and to some people taking actions that we don't like. So our recommendation is that you really don't test for these things. I have never in my life heard of anything stupider. I haven't either. And Shannon, I have to be the first to admit that every single one of the, well, I haven't done mold testing, but I've done urine testing, um, heavy metal testing, uh, blood testing. I've done all of these tests with the exception of mold testing. Well, and I've got you there because I've done the mold testing. You've done the mold testing too. Okay. And, and like, so this just ticks me off. Let's go down the list. 
Okay. Um, and talk about what they're recommending to pediatricians that they sort of be gatekeepers so that when you as a parent go and say, my child is having these issues, I would like to have them tested for this, that the doctors will go, mm, I don't think that's advisable. And, and let's be clear here that what this is about is the almighty dollar, that insurance companies don't want to pay for this testing and people don't really want to have the results of these tests. Well, as so, a matter of fact, I, I paid out of pocket for all of these tests and insurance yeah. doesn't cover it. Um, interesting, though, that, you know, they're saying not to do the test, whether your insurance covers it or not, um, which, you know, you would think would be left up to the discretion of the parent. And this is basically um, a big no to biomedical, in my opinion. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. And you know what I always say is that when somebody does something like this, you got to ask, who's, well, whose purse strings is this tied to? Exactly. And this has me hopping mad. So, okay, you guys, here are the five testing things that they don't want doctors to recommend. Testing for metals and minerals. Oh, looky there. Uh, that they don't want any routine testing for metals or minerals uh, because if they're found, there are treatments that could be harmful. Yes, what? I'm sure they're talking about chelation, I'm sure, uh, because the American Academy of Pediatrics has always been against doing chelation. But they um, also cite here that the council referred to certain preservatives used in multi-dose vaccine trials, uh, thimerosal and ethyl mercury, that have been blamed for the increase in autism rates without proof of a causative link. Right. So they referenced that as a way of saying, let's not test for metals or minerals. Right. And for all of these things, they've sort of covered themselves by saying, well, unless there's something really overwhelming, a, a, a reason why you should test for it. But I personally know many people who had their kids tested and discovered that their kids were high in a metal. Now, here they're saying that that... A high, a high number doesn't uh, necessarily imply toxicity and it doesn't define where you had the exposure to it. But why are we saying we don't even want to know? Like what, what kind of a crazy mixed up thing is this? But I continuing know. on, uh, they also are advising against hair analysis. Hair analysis, which I did. Did you, did you do hair analysis? We did not do hair analysis. Okay. Um, but they're saying that there's no scientific basis um, that uh, it's showing environmental toxins in children with behavioral or developmental disorders. Now, when you guys did the hair analysis, did you get anything out of it, Nancy? We got an increase, I think, in some metals. Okay. And so did you do something wild and crazy as a result of that? Or did you, you know, did you well, do we things? Had also done, we had also done a chelation, uh, a urine test, a chelation challenge. And we did end up doing chelation. Uh, for a couple of years, in fact, um, based on the results of his tests. And I'm really wondering what some of the more, um, you know, prominent biomedical doctors would think of this. It would be interesting to have them on and have them sort of talk about this. Somebody like Jerry Cartzenel, for example. Well, and, and I got to tell you, I'm a big fan of the website Environmental Working Group. Uh -huh. um, where they talk about environmental toxins in our diet and in our world, which this council goes on to say, yeah, we all have exposure to that. It doesn't mean that it's having an effect on your behavior or how you think, which, you know, somebody hold me. 
like, like what? Um, do we really think that the environmental toxins are not having an effect on us and on our children? Is that is that really the party line? Because I'm not participating in that. Um, you know, I'm a big fan of what you put in has an effect on everything. If you drink too much water, it's going to have an effect on you. And by the way, if the water is contaminated, hello, Flint, Michigan, it's going to have a cognitive effect on the children. So, uh, you know, I love, uh, I can't think what his name is, Ken, um, is it Ken Wood from the Environmental Working Group, that he talks about environmental toxins and speaks all over the world about the effect they are having on people and, and what we should be concerned about and what we shouldn't. I'm sure that his head is spinning. Uh, over this today, but let's continue on. So they're not recommending hair analysis. They're not recommending mold testing, which is, and they're saying that unless the patient has already had clear allergy or asthma symptoms that have not been resolved or can be related to asthma and allergy symptoms, that they're not going to go looking for mold. And they certainly aren't going, if someone has symptoms of chronic fatigue, joint um, stiffness, mental or cognitive problems or affective disorders, that they are not going to uh, recommend testing for that, uh, which that, you know, makes my head spin. Um, so you, you, mentioned, you, did, you did mold testing. Yeah, but here's the thing. We didn't do, what's interesting is that we didn't do mold testing on us, on our blood, or um, what we did was mold testing in our home. Right. And we found that there was mold in our home and then that was mitigated and our symptoms went away. So this, this whole idea of, um, because we couldn't have gotten uh, a doctor. I, I had um, uh, uh, an immunologist who said to me, you're, sh you're showing signs of uh, mold and you need to be looking at your home to do that. We didn't do any medical testing for it. I don't think I was aware that there could be, but they say here that there's a skin prick and that there are in vitro tests um, that, that can identify uh, people who are sensitive to molds, um, but that, that doesn't necessarily mean that you have a clinical disease. So uh, just this like, let's move the, you know, the pieces around the chessboard and not help people is what this sounds like to me. Right. But the next one that uh, came up on the list is urine testing. And they specifically um, advised against ordering a chelation challenge. Now you did that. Tell people what that means. Um, a chelation challenge is when you do a urine test, you send it off to your doctor, and then that urine test reveals the be uh, evident of metals. Right. And in particular, this has been used for years to, to show lead poisoning. Yes. Uh, and, and we like, but there are also other kinds of heavy metal poisoning. Can I just point out that a dear friend of mine who is not on the autism spectrum, who is a woman of my age, uh, probably 15 years ago, went through a whole bunch of health crises. They couldn't figure out what it was, couldn't figure out what it was, couldn't figure out what it was. And finally, a doctor did this with her, did the chelation challenge, and they found that her mercury was very high. Right. And they started asking her questions. She had eaten a tuna fish salad sandwich for lunch every day for like 40 years, and her mercury was high. 
Right. And, and they had to take her through a process and she's infinitely healthier now. Uh-huh. Um, so this, but when they say chelation challenge, Nancy, I think all of us go, oh my gosh, it's this. And they cite that this could be dangerous, a chelation challenge. And you're telling me that you, you had to have Wyatt pee into a cup? That I'm telling you that I did this for uh, a number of years when he was. But, but the actual test was just him peeing into the cup. That's correct. That's okay. correct. Yeah. And, and we wouldn't want to do that, folks. No, evidently course, not. And the last one, of course, you mentioned before is the blood tests um, to test for certain heavy metals such as lead. Measurements of environmental chemicals in a person's blood or urine should not be used to make clinical decisions, the council said. And also, well, are blood tests used for viral titers? You know, I, yes. I mean, everybody is doing that. I, I understand right now. I, I, this just boggles my mind. Do you remember a couple of years ago when this new group came out with guidelines for pediatricians and said that they should screen less? for children to have them be on the autism spectrum. And they were sending that guideline out saying it's not necessary to, to screen for autism. Yes. I, I mean, this is on the level of, I'm like, are you kidding me? Um, it makes me want to spit, but I will say um, what all the, the action that we all need to take is that you need to be as a parent, you need to be a little bit more up on these kinds of things. And I think that, I think there is an abundance of concern for parents who go off the deep end um, when they hear something and they, you know, we've covered the stories of people who um, give their kids bleach enemas and that is dangerous. Right. Obviously but, certain, certain tests are harmful and I think uh, are evident, you know, it's evident, evident that they're harmful. Um, and these? these tests though, certainly seem to do first do no harm the the thing that doctors are supposedly setting their standards by there is not a single thing on this list that i have seen that harms a child right could someone take the information and then go do some crazy therapy yes but that's not a reason to not test right that is just craziness to me and to me it sounds like they've got something else that's going on and that's why they don't want to pay for these things which is horrible um, and I think they're against biomedical treatment. Yeah. Which you got to ask yourself why. Who are they right. protecting? Uh, let's turn to two better stories that are more uplifting. Um, I, I love it. I, I just have been feeling the presence of Joanne Laura so much in my life lately and um, and really wanting to shout to the rooftops about some of the things excited about. And one was when our kids work. And when our kids are entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial, that's a mouthful. Uh, and there's an amazing story right now out of Tennessee about this, this incredible young man, Ashton Gilbert. He's 20 years old. Um, and mom was working with him during the pandemic, trying to figure out how to help him transition to adulthood and to be able to pay his bills and to be able, you know, to lead a productive life as a working, as Joanne would have said, have a seat at the table, right? right. But it, in the pandemic, it was really hard for anybody to get a job, let alone, you know, our underemployed adults on the autism spectrum. So he came up with something really amazing. Nancy, do you want to talk yes, about it? He, uh, with his mom behind the wheel, he drives to people's businesses and homes and picks up their boxes 
they're empty boxes. And just think of all the people that move and have empty boxes. Um, and he drives them to the recycling center. So he not only solves a problem, he solves two problems. Yes. And the name of his business is called Unboxed. Simple. And, and I will tell you, for those of us that did, uh, that ordered all of our groceries and all of our everything online, I mean, my husband has one afternoon a week that he has to go out and break down all the boxes and put them in the recycling bin. And some weeks we don't have enough room in the recycling bin. It's, it's a part-time job. And if I had a service here like this, where I could be employing uh, an, an adult on the autism spectrum, believe me, we would have signed up for it. So I just think, you know, what an amazing thought process to realize. I just was talking to somebody the other day, a landlord who's so mad at her uh, tenants because they have a stack of Amazon boxes that are sitting on their patio and it's too time intensive. Nobody has been breaking them down on a regular basis. What they need is Ashton Gilbert and his yes. business unboxed. I absolutely love it. If you're in Tennessee, reach out and and uh, hire Ashton to break down your boxes for you. Uh, okay. And then our last story this morning, I'm very proud, is practically in our backyard. Um, that here in California, that uh, California State Senator Anthony J. Portantino um, has been moving and shaken with Senate Bill 562. Did you, I didn't know about this, Nancy. This bill. I didn't know about this either. And can you break this bill down for us, Shannon? Because you're yeah. I mean, I'll try. I want to point yeah, out I'm that he's a state senator um, representing La Cañada, Flint Ridge, which is LA adjacent, very directly adjacent. Um, and it is about uh, treatment. Uh, access to treatment for individuals um, and for them to get the treatment that is prescribed by their physician or psychologist, because he's saying that they should be the ones that know best, that early intervention is key, and that uh, SB 562 will build on the laws that we already have in California, but take some of the things that are impediments to impediments to this. Um, uh, and move them out. Uh, so insurance has, has all these different things. And for instance, one thing that insurance has been trying really hard in California to legislate is that if you get ABA treatment for your child, that a parent has to participate, that you have to go to parent training, that you have to be there for clinics, that you have to do X, Y, and Z. And this bill says that that's discriminatory, that some parents have to work. And, and that this, this bill says that the, the treatment can be done at school. Is that correct? That's a big one that sometimes, you know, Nancy, we've all dealt with this, that like you, you have to go to work, you have to drop your child off at school, and then somehow your child needs to get back to the center or back home for treatment, and, and that it's all on you. And, and because where, where it used to be that there was like an activity after school that your child could participate in, but not without their therapy, and the therapist could be there help facilitating it and have it be useful time, but they wouldn't allow it because insurers would say, nope, they're on school. So if they're on school, then school has to pay for the therapist. So SB 562 says, no, you can't have, you can't say that a parent has to participate. 
and that they have to part because you're not doing that with anything else. You know, if the child is having PT, they don't say, oh, we can't give you PT because the parent's not available. Right. That's not, not a thing. And that they remove all these arbitrary things about if you cross the, the, the line and are in the school that the school has to pay for it because that's Meshuggah. Right. So and your kids have, especially when they're younger, because if they're going to get the recommended 40 hours a week, they yeah. need a therapist from an outside agency to come to the school. We were yes. never able to do that because my district would never allow it. But did yeah. Jim have an outside therapist at school? Um, he did for a while. He, when he went to preschool, he had a card therapist. Okay. And then when he, but then halfway through that year, we transitioned to a school therapist that the card therapist trained. Right. So we had both of them for, I think, a month. And then when he went to kindergarten, the card therapist came back for the first two weeks, trained all the staff at the new school, uh, made sure that the, the, the school therapist was there. And then we had card on, um, we, had a, we had like a certain number of hours in the IEP that was for card to consult. So that if a behavior cropped up, we wouldn't have to go back to the table and negotiate it. We could just call card, card would send somebody they would observe the behavior. They would meet with the school team. They would write the intervention plan and they would train the team. And I'll tell you that saved us time and time again, uh -huh. time and time again. It's so much more effective. Um, but it's out. I know you had to fight for everything because of the school district you were yeah, in. Big fight. But uh, like you, I had my card therapist, the supervisor work with the with the aides at school and training them and giving them guidelines, which we was greatly needed. Yeah. I, I also love that this bill is, is looking at, uh, it's looking at both sides of the equation. It's making sure that people who are working with the kiddos have had extensive background checks to make sure that they are as safe as possible working with children. But it also looks at some of the holdups on certifying people because right now there's a ginormous backlog um, there are people who want to be behavior technicians and they can't get certified because the state is taking so long to certify them. So they want, and, and what happens is the insurance companies win because uh, they said, well, we, you know, we offered you therapy, but you had to wait for it. So that's not our fault. So right. this, this would remove some of that. So I just want to thank um, Senator, State Senator Anthony J. Portantino um for doing this for our entire state i think it's right. remarkable um we'll have to reach out and see if he would like to be on the show Kudos to him. and and this bill is sponsored by so many different um uh autism organizations so we're, we're thrilled uh to talk about that okay so that was a lot that was um, a lot some good stories there and and guys, please donate to um, the uh, Tory's uh, scholarship fund, his opportunity fund for him to go uh, to college. Okay, I, I've been off. Hey, we're saying hello to Nasser. Uh, and I thought that we were having Leah Hirschfeld because I'm completely wrong. I, I'm, in, I'm in another time That's zone. I thought too. We are having Karen Nolte on. Oh, great. Um, I absolutely him. love her. So we're so excited that she is here. And uh, so Karen, uh, welcome to Autism Live. We're going to talk with her right now about research. Karen, start by telling them who you are and what it is exactly you do at the Center for Autism and Related Disorders. 
Sure, I am the Director of Research at CARD and I'm responsible for all of the research initiatives and projects that, that we have and making sure they're, they're being driven forward and get accomplished because there's so much that we wanna to contribute to our families in terms of um, better understanding intervention and services. And we love having you here, Karen, because, you, you know, every week Nancy and I cover in the news and we usually get to some sort of research thing and it's filled with things that we can't pronounce. <laughs> Thank you. That's exactly the time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and, we'll, and we'll be like, what did you get from this? And, and trying to piece it all together. So this is, you're like our sanity check. Everyone, we ask people to write in. We shared something with you the other day that you guys are going to save for July. But uh, tell us what topic you're taking on today. Yes. So today I'm talking about toilet training. And I believe one of your listeners asked about strategies and specifically asked if Fox and Azrin is still a thing or if there were improvements on it. <laughs> Wonderful. If what was still a thing, Karen? I'm sorry. Fox and Azrin. So, so for, for those of you who don't know, they were the authors of a study published back in 1971 uh, regarding a rapid and intensive method of toilet training individuals with disabilities. So, so those procedures are really the foundation of, of the toilet training strategies that we're aware of. And they've been replicated and modified so many times. And, and a lot of the modifications fit into one of two categories. So, so Fox and Azrin, their procedures included some punishment strategies. So, so there are some questions about that. Are they necessary to implement? Also, their strategies are very intensive. So later articles addressed whether that level was necessary. So, so that's the update for, for that particular listener is that yes, it's still a thing, but there's been a lot of modifications and updates. Okay, so maybe like, is it worthwhile? I don't wanna steal your thunder or, or steal the direction, but um, I've this is already interesting to me because I believe that all of our kids were potty trained with Fox and Azrin. Um, because it's the thing, it's been the thing, but now I, my, there was never a punishment strategy when we did it. I'm already wondering, did we do a modified Fox and Azrin? Was there any punishment strategy when you were teaching Wyatt? Uh, no, we, we did not have a punishment strategy when he was learning to be toilet. Although sometimes I think I misunderstand when you guys say punishment, you mean something different than what I mean. So maybe explain that to us. Yes. Yeah, so, so. The strategies, one of the toilet training strategies that's often used that, that is punishment is repeatedly, um, when there's an accident, repeatedly cleaning and restoring that surface to, to its, its state. So not just cleaning up the mess, but cleaning it and cleaning it several different times or repeating an action of going to the restroom and back to the place where the accident was multiple times. Like those things are considered punishment. Okay, so it's not mm -hmm. like, you know, making them stand in the corner kind of punishment, but cleaning the mess up, but doing mm -hmm. it, you know, very deliberately and making that sort of punishing is what you're talking about. We didn't do that. Yes, yes. we didn't yes. either. Yeah, so it sounds like you did some of the modifications already. Yeah, there we go. So, so any negative, any negative consequence, in other words. Correct. Mm -hmm. Okay. So uh, what, uh, what's, because uh, I know you have something prepared. Take us where you want to go. 
Sure. So I have information from three different articles. So I'm going to start with the more intense method, and then we'll get into two other articles that explore is that level of intensity needed. Um, but before I dive in, a couple a couple things I want to touch on with toileting. So before you start a program, especially if your child is older, it's really important to check in with the pediatrician to make sure there are no medical issues. I always like to make sure to say that because because that can really hold things back, or or if you address the medical issue, you can make toileting much easier. Yes, amen to that. And before you start, you also want to see and check on toileting readiness skills. So there's a couple different things that this entails. You know, this includes showing an interest in the toilet, knowing some of the vocabulary, what it means to go, you know, pee pee and poo poo and those sorts of things, having the child understand that. Um, understanding that, okay, I, I urinate in the toilet knowing how to wash their hands, knowing how to wipe, those sorts of things. Um, readiness skills are really important to take a look at. Um, and for, for your viewers who may be struggling with toilet training, you know, there was a survey that was done. It was an old survey back in 1992, but they found that, you know, this may not be a surprise, but that autistic children tend to start toilet training later and take longer to learn the skill. So yeah. if you're in this boat, you're, you're not alone. <laughs> this yeah. is something many parents struggle with. Can we go back and talk about the readiness though too? Cause yes. I think it can look a little bit different with kiddos on the spectrum that I, um, like we did a video, a series years ago that was called the A word. And um, there was a period of time in which the little boy would get underneath the, the he picked a specific spot. And, and what it was, was he would get in between the chairs underneath the dining room table. And that is where he would take his poo. Yep. And I didn't realize that in the video, the therapist explains to the mom, that's a, that is a sign that he is ready because he's noticing his body feels a certain way and he's going to a specific spot to do it that's away from you. And, and I, that was news. I, Nancy, I didn't realize that that was a symptom that the kids are more ready. No, I wouldn't have recognized that as a symptom either. Yeah. Um, he was just that what they needed to do then Karen, is just guide him to the appropriate place when that symptom started. Right. 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 Knowing that cue is, is really helpful for the adults to help him. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So I just wanted to point that out. Sometimes the readiness thing isn't just about the language and the verbiage and knowing, you know, sometimes it's like, they, you know, they're, they're, they have some sort of ritual about how they're doing it or where they're doing it, um, that that can be assigned to. That their body is like his body was giving him a cue and his interpretation of that was I go under the dining room table. But that cue that his body was telling him could then be built upon to have him go to the potty. And it was successfully built upon. That's okay. Great. Sorry. Take your, take your time. No worries. That's a great sign. Thank you for that. Okay, so the first article I have to share is by LeBlanc and colleagues from 2005, and they used a modified version of Fox and Azrin with autistic preschoolers. And for, for these three children who were in the study, they tried low intensity programs and they, they weren't successful for these children. Um, so what they were looking at in the study was toileting successes. So every time the child urinated, it was either a success or an accident. And they also were looking at self-initiations. So every time the child had a success, they would mark, okay, is this prompted or is this self-initiated? And, and what we're talking about here is, did the child say potty or bathroom to an adult to let them know, or did they just walk on their own to the toilet? Okay. And with this study, I really like that they tracked, um, they, they did this, 
that they implemented this program across clinic, home, and the community and the school. Um, so this this was really great to see uh, covering all settings for the, these children here. So the very first thing they did was a preference assessment to identify reinforcers. And in a preference assessment, this is where you give the child a lot of different things like toys or snacks that you think the child would like and keep track of which one they pick first or which one they pick the most. And I think preference assessments are really important when it comes to toileting because it's such a hard thing for so many kids. So knowing that, okay, this is the top thing today or this week for this child, it can be really helpful. Yeah. Okay. And it's important, can we just say it's important to this thing that you guys call the preference assessment. Um, it's really important for all of us to do this for, for ourselves and for each other on a regular basis, because as you just said, what's important to them today, because you know, what Nancy likes today, Nancy might say, gosh, you know what I'm hungry for today is falafel. And then she may not eat falafel for a year. But today, right. falafel is very motivating for her. And our kids are that way, too. Right. So we have to check in on a regular basis about, you know, and, and that you, there are ways to do this with kiddos that are nonverbal. There are ways to do this with kiddos that are very little. You can do preference assessments with babies, but we need to do them on a regular basis. Yes, such a good point. <laughs> okay. So okay. I'm sorry, I just keep interrupting. No, it's great, it's great. Uh, jumping into the intensive toilet training and the components here. So, so for this article, they included seven components. The first one is a structured sitting schedule in terms of when the child's sitting on the toilet. So they started the very first day with the child on the toilet for 10 minutes and five minutes off the toilet. So it's a really intense schedule. I mean, that's why it's called intensive toilet training, right? And over time, they gradually increase the time off the toilet and decrease the time on the toilet. And they also allowed the kids to view videos while they were sitting, because it could be a fairly long time that they were sitting some of the time. So how many hours a day was this done? This was done for eight hours, well, basically the whole day after the first day because the parents were then implementing it. And this is sort of typical of what they call toilet training boot camp, right? Where you mm -hmm. set aside a couple of days to do this mm -hmm. and you're going to be that kind of intensive. Now, this is what yes. we did, Nancy. Does this sound familiar to you? Uh, we didn't have to be that intensive, as I recall. Okay. Wyatt was not that late on his toilet training. I recall that being one of the easier challenges we had. Yeah. Well, we... I don't, I don't know if we were late, but I just remember that for like two or three days, it was this level of intensive that we had a timer, there was a sheet and there was a whole, you know, we fed him a salty snack. He drank, the timer went off. He sat on the toilet for a certain amount of time. We took him off the toilet, reset it. That's time off the toilet. Then he'd go back on the toilet um, until he had a success. And then we would celebrate that with whatever the preference assessment had said. Um, and then gradually the amount of time off the potty increased, um, and the time on the potty decreased as he started to get it. It worked within three days. We were pretty solid. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. and that's, and that's sort of, for me, the hallmark of the Fox and Azrin is yes. that you're going to set aside some time. You're going to do this intensively. You're basically like you know, we just said we're not an underwear situation right now. He had a long t-shirt and we said, we're not going anywhere for three days. And, and, and people call that the, the potty boot camp and they follow yeah. 
That, okay, so that's and what the they time, did with these kiddos. That time investment in the present turned out to be a real asset in, for the long term. Oh yeah, and that's the whole thing with the the boot camp is that you know you get it done. You know, then we had other things we had to do because then we had to start taking him other places and there was the timer, it was hard. Um, but, you know, we saw that we could get it done. And, you know, that, but that's with the P. I'm totally interrupting you, Karen. So, but now we've sort of established that that's sort of the Fox and Azrin kind of thing. And they did this in this study with these three kiddos. Yes, and there, there are a couple other elements and you touched on a couple of them. One is uh, giving that reinforcement whenever the child urinates in the toilet. Also giving that, that reinforcement from the preference assessment if they initiate, if they say potty or bathroom on their own. Yeah. Uh, the fluids, the increased fluids you mentioned. Um, prompting them to, to say potty or bathroom before they go. The other thing that this study did that, that was part of the original Fox and Azrin is a urine sensor alarm set up. And most parents I know don't actually use this, but what they did is they got this, this thing called a wet stop and you attach it to their underwear so that when an accident occurs, it sets an alarm so the adult knows right away. So right when they have this accident, the adult said in the study, no wet pants, brought them to the restroom and had them sit so that they would have that immediate feedback right when they had an accident. Okay. And are, are those readily available to parents? I believe they're on Amazon. I looked them up uh, probably last year at some point and they were, I could find some on Amazon. Mm -hmm. But I want to know like, what kind of alarm is this? Is the alarm itself punishing? Like, is it that the, the diaper turns green um, and it's just something we notice? Is it something that goes or like that? Or is it something that goes, Wah! you know, and it's punishing? That's so that's my big question. It's, it's um, an auditory noise. I don't know how loud the noise is. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, we're saying hi to Sapiro. Thank you so great. We're so glad you're here. Um, okay, so this is what they did with these kiddos. So yes. what happened? What they see? Yes. So so for all three kids across, you know, they started at the clinic. They they uh, had parents doing this at home. They trained the school. So they had some really intensive first four days, and then were able to fade procedures out. So all three children were able to, to reach what they considered mastery criteria. So two of the three had zero accidents after training and were self-initiating on their own. And the third participant went from over five accidents to less than one accident a day. So that child still did great, you know, and was able to, I think, self-initiate some of the time, but not as consistently as the other two. So all three children received, uh, you know, some level of toilet success by the end of this. Um, and how two many of them, days was that? It was, depending on the child, one child achieved that in nine days, one in 23 days, and one in 17. Okay. So, and this right. was fully reaching that, that end mastery criteria there. Okay. Mm -hmm. Works. It works. Okay. It works. It works. That's the thing. You know, we know that this intensive procedure works, but it's it's challenge. It's a challenge to do. You know, it's, it's it takes a lot of time and resources. And what yeah. about during sleeping hours? Are we not worrying at at that time yeah. about the child? Yeah, they're not worrying at this point in time. You just want that daytime urination first, and then nighttime comes later. Mm -hmm. And also, typically, you first start with urination, and then bowel movements is something that you focus on second. So for some children, bowel movement training comes comes early as well. For other children, it's a bit more challenging. Yeah. 
Okay. So, so that intensively mm-hmm. definitely got some good results. All three children within a month right. uh, received some sort of, you know, mastery of toilet training, but a pretty intensive period of t- two, two weeks to a month for these three kids, families. Right. Um, and for staff. Okay. So, but I'm guessing that one of the, at least one of the other studies looked to see if you could do it less intensively. Yes. So this next one by Greer and colleagues in 2016 wanted to see, okay, all these components all necessary. So they took three components, having children wear underwear, uh, that, that dense schedule of sits on the toilet and giving reinforcement to all steps of toileting. So they wanted to wear instead of a pull up or a diaper. Correct. Okay. Got it. Mm -hmm. Okay. So they wanted to see, okay, is just one of these components enough? Do we need all three of them? So they assigned each child. So they had 20 preschool children and they assigned the children to get either one of those components to start with or all three at once. And if they started with one, if it wasn't successful, they went to the second and they added the second. If it wasn't successful, they added the third. Okay. So we should note, these are preschool children. One had a diagnosis of autism. The others had no known diagnoses. And what they found was that um, for all of the children, you know, just receiving that dense sitting schedule and that reinforcement didn't lead to success for the most part. They did find that placing children in underwear was really key. Um, And they found that they had the most success for the children when they were using all three of those components. But, but hold the phone for a second. Did I yes. hear you say that of the 20 children, only one of them was on the spectrum and the rest of them Correct. were neurotypical? Correct. Okay. How but, did that, yeah. How did that child do? Yeah. That child was able to be successfully toilet trained at the end of the study with all three components. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. But that's sort of the truth with all of the kids. Yes. Okay. All yes, right. so they needed all three of these. So, so these three components are not necessarily as intensive as Fox and Azrin, but but this study showed that okay, all three of these components were needed. But you know, it wasn't as intensive as the first study I talked about. But it also sounds like that having them stay in a diaper, um, which is the thing that we hear mm-hmm. from experts all the time, you've got to lose the diaper, and the parents okay. don't want to do that because that okay. means that. When there's an accident, we have to clean it up. It's punishing for us. But it sounds like that was pivotal. Yes. Ah. Yes. And that's the big takeaway from that one. When you are ready, put your child in underwear. (laughs) All right. Okay. So the third study extended that those results to children with autism. So Paris and colleagues in 2020 um, took those that same procedure. So they're like, okay, we know we need all three of these components the underwear, the dense sitting schedule, and the reinforcement. So they used all three components. Um, and they had 13 children with autism and they had, there were a range of ages. So, so there were two to 13 years old was where the age ranges. So not just preschoolers for this study. And what they found was there was a little bit of uh, difference among the children. So two of the children were actually able to get toilet trained in their baseline procedure. So the, for baseline, they stayed in their pull-up or diapers. They went to the, the potty about every 90 minutes, which is pretty typical for, for a preschool kind of classroom. Um, and they did dry pants checks. So two kids were able to, to meet the criteria with, with just those kind of basic low intensity things. Do we know the ages of those two kids? Were they older? I 
do not remember that off the top of my head. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I just asked <laughs> the weirdest questions, right? I should okay. have the article pulled up and look at the chart. I, I don't remember offhand. Yeah. Okay. So. Not a problem. Okay. So then they, they implemented the, those three pieces of intervention, the underwear, going to the restroom every 30 minutes and sitting for three minutes and giving the reinforcer for being dry, for sitting, um, for eliminating when they sit, and then the self-initiations. So three children, you know, were able to meet that criteria of, of no accidents within 10 sessions, less than 10 sessions. Okay. Two were able to get there between 11 and 20 sessions. And four children needed more than 20 sessions. Do we know what the maximum was? Because they all got it. Right? So if, if you're following my math, uh, there are two children I haven't gotten to. So those oh, two okay. children did not get it with that level of intensity. Okay. Right. So, so <laughs> one child, they added a potty chair. She was a little younger and they made the sits more frequent every 15 minutes and she got it. The very last child did not, wasn't successful even with these modifications. So they moved on to the full intensive procedures that I mentioned in the first article, but that was outside of the scope of the study. So, okay. so 12 of the 14, 13 children were able to be toilet trained, honestly, in a relatively quick period of time. Yeah. That's very encouraging. Yeah. Which number? Well, here's the big takeaway for me, though, that I want everybody to hear. One of the first things that when we started ABA, we were asked, you know, what are the big things? And one of them was potty training. We wanted to make sure that he was going to be potty trained. And and I remember the reaction of every expert we talked to. They were like, oh, yeah, that's not going to be a problem. We'll do that. And I, and I was like, what? Because we always hear about adults that are in diapers or whatever. And what I quickly learned hanging around with BCBAs is that you have cracked the code on this, mm -hmm. that, that ultimately all of these kids one way or another got to toilet training is just how intensive did it have to be? Exactly. And I want all of the caregivers to hear that they've cracked the code. Now right. they're trying to make a better mousetrap all the time. They're always trying to see how can we do Fox and Azarin in fewer steps or, you know, get there that much quicker. But but please hear me that if you have a child and you're worried about toilet training, if you're working with good professionals, there's every reason to think you are going to get there. Karen, uh, I have a question about uh, yeah. regression. Do, is that common to see? Because I saw on Facebook the other day on one of my special needs moms group that she's having a problem with her child with regressing. A lot of them are having a hard time right now, Nancy. Right, mm -hmm. right, right. Yes. Right now, people are having so a hard that, time. Is it common to see regression or how, do you have any numbers on how common that is? I don't have any numbers on how common that is, but I know when there are life stressors, like a new baby in the house, a pandemic, you know, regression is not uncommon and toileting is one of those things that we see that regresses. I mean, in, in this study, in this last one, they, they faded out all of the procedures and even beyond that initial toilet training mastery, they followed the kids for quite some time and, and they didn't regress. Um, so, but that, that's still only a relatively short period of time, you know, in the course of a child's life that they tracked for the study. But I, you know, hear that you guys, when she says stressors and pandemic, but mm -hmm. also coming out of a pandemic, mm -hmm. I know, you know, you know how weird we all feel during the week of daylight savings time. And it's like, oh, I don't, I can't figure out because the, the light changed and I'm seeing people across the board. I, I was saying to somebody this morning, it's, 
you know, someone said this on the show the other day too. I went to Whole Foods Market last night for the first time in, you know, close to two years. And I, I was like, I didn't, I forgot how to shop. I didn't know what to do. And I was distracted and I came home and four of the things we needed the most, I didn't have. Um, we're, we're like bears coming out of hibernation and right. we're thrown off. And if we're thrown off, what do we think the kids are? Right. And, and so I, I, you know, to your point, Nancy, I, I know I, I'm, I'm seeing a lot of people whose kids are regressing with toilet training, uh -huh. but we should not be afraid or dismayed by that. Right. Karen, if we shore right. some things up, we can get it back together. Right. We, we know the strategies that work to your point. It's just a matter of, okay, what is needed for this particular child and keep trying and keep trying. Cause there are strategies that we have in the toolkit that can work. Okay. And, and the behavior analysts say to us all the time that behavior is communication and, and toileting mm -hmm. is behavior. And so your child is communicating to you when there's regression, that stuff is going on. It's not something to be ignored. You can treat the symptoms and help your child to get back to the toilet training. But remember, it's there's something else going on. And we all need to like be cognizant of that and look for what that is and be loving and kind and compassionate while we're looking for what that is. Good point. Um, we're out of time. I don't yeah, know how that are. happened. Well, this was uh, really encouraging, Karen. Really encouraging results. Great. Yes. Um, and if, if people want to know more about the Fox and Azrin method, it's all over the internet, right? Right. There are books. Um, now you know what you're looking for, though. You're not just looking for toilet training. You're looking for Fox and Azrin. And Azrin is, they're both spelled weird, right? Is it Fox with two X's and Azrin is A-Z-H-R-I-N maybe? I think it's A-Z-R-I-N. I, mm -hmm. I, okay. Um, I always know it's different than what I initially think. Uh, yeah. when I look it up. But worthwhile to look at it and, and to see because there is a very specific strategy. Um, I, and I'm hearing, you know, when, you, when you're saying about how 22 days till full mastery, and I'm sure it was probably around that before we had it all the time in all circumstances. Right. But I want to put it out there that we, we did it pretty intensively, not with the punishing aspect, three days, and, and we were well on our way. We still had a couple of accidents uh, from time to time, but we were well on our way. So thank you, Karen. Thank for, you, Karen. And, and please keep writing in your questions. Somebody did write in a very specific question uh, yesterday or day before yesterday. And you guys are going to be sharing on that in July. Yes. Uh, there are a couple of articles that came out about um, people on the spectrum. And, and, you know, we say all the time about how uh, people on the spectrum are more likely to be victims than to be the perpetrators of a crime. And there's some research that, um, you know, a couple of articles came out saying the opposite. And um, Karen and Leah have some research to show us to shed some light on the truth of the matter, which I think everybody will be relieved. Uh, not to give spoiler alerts, but you know, we don't want to leave people hanging for a month. All right, we're out of time, way past time now. I want to thank both of you ladies for being here. Uh, we got great shows coming up next week. You know, the the fourth and final season of Atypical is going to air uh, and be available on July 9th. And there are two actors on the spectrum that are regulars, uh, actual actors on the spectrum, um, playing characters on the spectrum. We've got an interview with them, which I think um, it, we're doing next, uh, I, I think that airs next Friday. 
So you, uh, tune in, we'll put out the schedule soon so that you guys can see when what is happening. So uh, I want to thank everybody for being here and uh, we'll see you uh, next week. But until then, give your kiddos a hug for me. And yourselves a hug for me. Bye-bye. Bye-bye for now. Thanks, Karen. <laughs>